0: Welcome back to the SheWorth podcast. So on today's episode, we're talking about abusive relationships and healing from the trauma that they inflict upon you emotionally and physically. So we're joined by Susan McCulloch, who's a registered psychologist and a trauma therapist who has worked with one of our co-founders, Laura, when she left her marriage. So. She knows her stuff. She helped Laura through a really tough time and she has been wonderful to have on the podcast. She gives so much good information and understandable information about how your brain is rewired when you're in an abusive relationship and how your fight, flight or freeze response can affect your decision making and whether or not you feel like you can leave. She also does a deep dive into the PTSD that these kind of relationships can cause and gives you healing strategies for your own use there's also going to be a pdf at the end that you can download off of our website www.sheber.org with all her strategies so make sure to look out for that uh we hope you enjoy this episode as much as i do and without further ado here it is (laughs)
1: Good morning and welcome to the SheWorth podcast. I'm Lara Smith. I'm co-founder of SheWorth. And today we have a very special guest, Susan McCullough. Good morning, Susan. Welcome. Good
2: morning, Lara. Thank you so
1: much for inviting me. We're so thrilled. I am going to do the bio, which may embarrass you because you've (laughs) just got such a spectacular career. Um, Susan's been a registered psychologist in Alberta since 1980 and works in private practice in Calgary. Susan specializes in all aspects of trauma therapy and healing. Susan has accumulated an extensive therapeutic toolkit over the decades in her quest to help people overcome the debilitating effects of trauma. Wow. Wow. I was one of the very lucky people that was able to get in and work with Susan. I have been open about my experience in an abusive romantic relationship. And Absolutely changed my life helped me so much Susan so we want to we want to share your type of support strategies um, with the masses because I was skeptical Mm -hmm. that this type of work could help me but it it absolutely changed my thinking and I'm the beneficiary of such
2: incredible support so thank you for that thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And I tell you, it was a total pleasure to work with you because you were so ready to do the work. And that's the key. You know, you gotta, you gotta know, you gotta pace yourself and know when you're ready to go. That's right.
1: That's right. So let's dive in. Let's do it. Um, You know, we talked about you making your, your life work, helping people heal from all types of complex trauma. Um, But today specifically, we are talking in the context of romantic intimate relationships there's so much more around trauma but for the purposes of this it's Mm -hmm. I was abused by an intimate partner that is the context of this conversation um the question that I get all the time is a how did you even find yourself in a relationship with this man or why did you not leave one minute after you first notice some abuse. Okay. Um, can you help some shine some light on that?
2: I absolutely can. You can blame your brain, <laughs> as we're going to today. Our brain is behind a lot of this. So we have these incredible attachment circuits in our brains that basically biologically wire us for connection, so much so that when we connect with somebody in a meaningful way, we have get an opioid rush in our brain. So it's literally addictive on many levels. And when we withdraw from a loving relationship or a relationship that has brought us a lot of rewards, shall we say, um, we can actually go into this withdrawal situation and feel an incredible amount of shame, embarrassment, um, depression even, because the brain, all of these wonderful hormones that normally keep us stable, start to withdraw. And so we lose serotonin and dopamine hits that keep us feeling content and happy. So again, there's a there's a biological loop that we get caught in very often that Mm -hmm. keeps us stuck that in addition to the pressure of society, which basically, you know, rewards us for being in an intact relationship, Uh, we have loved ones in our relationship who we care about and often for many people they are worried about their children when they look at leaving a relationship that's intimate there's all kinds of financial imbalances very often in relationships that make it very difficult for people to leave and bottom line is that often there is that um what you know you're probably very familiar with the whole you know circle of cycle of violence and there's that honeymoon period where we come back after a horrific experience of withdrawal and feeling awful and then there's this you know attempt at repair that makes us feel relief and oh great it's going to be different this time again think of that brain all those lovely hormones that serotonin and dopamine start to flow again we start to feel stable and content and just hope and pray and Again, if we're more of a of an empath, a pleaser type, we're putting a lot of energy into thinking, well, if I just give more, then perhaps right. things will be better this time. Right. Typically, we're in a relationship with someone with narcissistic or potentially even psychopathic tendencies, and all they want to do is take, take, take. They don't see us. They don't hear us. But they may have the ability to make us feel seen and heard when it suits them. That's right. So it's a tricky, tricky dance.
1: I remember you said something to me early days on, we will do a lot. We will put up with a lot for love and relationships. We will.
2: Absolutely. Something
1: I learned about myself through all of the work with SheWorth and um, my partner, Kim, is my wiring made me predisposed to staying in this relationship, ironically, because I am very high conscientious. Mm -hmm. So I was going to make this work. Failure is not an option for me. I'm also very high agreeable. So going with the flow, you know, making me happy, that's how I rolled, right? So it wasn't really, it wasn't really a big deal when he went off, but had I been less agreeable, I might've put my foot down earlier. So I learned all of these things. Mm because really it helped me with the shame I just yes so important there yeah if women can understand that these these fat these
2: biological factors are at play that are totally outside our conscious thinking it's really going to help women so true and 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 shaming us is often what these perpetrator energies will do. That's part of their modus operandi, is to dump the shame that they feel onto us, to, to reflect it. Shame is, again, a biological experience. All mammals experience shame. If you've ever seen your dog when it's peed on the floor and it gets all time puts its tail between its legs... We we basically contract when we feel shame as well. Shame came about evolutionarily to keep the tribe safe. So if you did something that was taboo, you would experience shame. That was your body's way of saying, "Do not do that again, or you will be shunned and kicked out of the tribe. In which case, you're probably going to die." Mm-hmm. So shame is also wired into us. And when we don't meet what we believe to be the right do the right thing, we will often start to say, and we're often this is reinforced often by these abusive partners is that what's wrong with you okay And, and the underlying message is you are bad not you have done something bad, but you are bad. So again, we become, because we're typically, you know, going through all of these cascade of chemicals in our brains, we, we pay attention to that one. That's, a, that's an important biological imperative. And so we contract and we become even more stuck. And shame has a way of, of keeping us really, f- no one wants to talk about shame. Brenny Brown opened it up with her wonderful work when she said we need to talk about this and so again as we bring this out of the out of the darkness and say this happened to me and your story is so helpful for all your listeners because they see here is you know this can happen to anyone and we all feel shame when we don't what we perceive as missing the mark so when we talk about it and we begin to understand it we realize hey wow I'm pretty normal it's, it was so helpful.
1: I think at the time I was in the relationship, and thankfully it was only a couple of years, but I felt like I was going crazy. I was crazy. Mm-hmm. I felt like my,
2: my brain was hijacked. That's exactly what it was. In fact, we used the actually the perfect word to describe that. So, can I tell you a little bit about the brain? I want to hear. Yes. I'm okay. okay. And this is a, this is normally I do this with a hand model, but because we're, we're not everyone's going to have video, where I'm going to just talk about how the brain grew grew in us evolutionarily. And again, I come back to evolution a lot because to me it just helps everything to kind of make sense. So the first, uh, the the bottom of our, back of our head back here is housed is the brain stem. And that is the part of our brain that is the most primitive. It's also called the reptile brain. And within the brain stem are our most primitive structures. But for the um, purpose of our discussion, the main thing the brain stem does is activate the fight, flight, freeze response as, as we yeah. there exactly. Now as we evolve we developed what's called a limbic system or a midbrain and this is what all mammals share. This is a mammalian feature and it basically is an emotional brain. Now there's two structures in this midbrain that are super important. One is the amygdala I love that word. The amygdala are the body brains smoke detectors. so their job is to scope out whenever a threat appears and they will do that very well, and there's not a lot you can do to calm those amygdalae down once they're activated. The other part that's right next to the amygdalae is called the hippocampus, and the hippocampus has to do with memory function. What I always like to highlight when I talk about the hippocampus is that it's the part of the brain that puts the time stamp on events as they are unfolding, so it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's what the hippocampus is supposed to do. That's one of the many things it does. Now, on top of the midbrain is the gray matter, Ooh, what we consider when we think of the brain. And this is where the highly complex decision-making, planning, organizing parts of the brain are housed. Frontal lobes up here in the front do are the forward thinking. They're the most advanced parts of our brain in terms of our ability to, to see and and predict future um, behaviors and outcomes within the frontal lobes is a very important area again for trauma it's called the prefrontal cortex and it goes right along the forehead area here we call it the pfc for short and the middle part of that prefrontal cortex is linked to both the brainstem and the midbrain so it kind of coordinates in some ways everything that's going on but for the sake of our discussion what it does is it halts the negative flow of emotions when we're in a trauma situation it's kind of like the off switch Uh so what happens when we're threatened when we're experiencing a stressor or a trauma essentially the amygdala fire boom boom incoming incoming They speak then down to the brainstem. Brainstem gets ready to activate the fight-flight response. The prefrontal cortex, which is the part that connects everything, goes offline. So we don't have access, essentially, to our thinking brain when we're in in that situation. We are hijacked by the midbrain and the brainstem because their job is to get us to safety. Now, here's the other important piece, is that the hippocampus, that little memory piece that timestamps everything, gets flooded by the hormones, the stress hormones that are going through our body, and actually sometimes doesn't function very well under those circumstances. So our memory of the event can be very comf- confused. Sometimes there's no time stamp that says it's over okay and so when people experience have the experience of flashbacks or feeling like oh god here it goes again that's because the hippocampus hasn't registered literally that the situation is done and you are safe now mm-hmm. so all of this keeps kind of keeps the system going and until we can get that prefrontal cortex back online the system will be activated and we'll feel the overwhelming sense of i have to do something here either fight flee or freeze and those again equal options we don't typically know which one of those we're going to do until we're in that situation uh-huh. so most often we'll say well why didn't you fight well because your brain did not see an opportunity for you believing if you could have fought and run if you could have fought your system would have done so right right typically in a in a romantic relationship that's not safe Right. Right. Um, fleeing is an option. But when you're in the moment of of trying to deal with an onslaught, basically, again, there's not may not be a lot of options. So the freeze response is often where where our brain takes us. And that's just about, you know, contracting, um, splitting off, dissociating or doing whatever we can to stay small so that we don't get harmed in the worst possible way. So this is what our brain does under stress. With chronic stress, which is often referred to as complex PTSD, and we'll get into that more, um, the, the brain starts to adapt because our brain does that. That's the wonderful thing about our brain. It's super adaptable. So in that situation, our prefront, or our amygdala become extremely sensitive to any cues that might signal, here we go again. So we're hypervigilant, we're on the lookout. That hippocampus, well it can actually shrink with prolonged exposure to stress. So memory might be fuzzy. Right. Uh, and we we, uh, might, we start to confuse. Did it really happen? Did I imagine that? Did that is that really going on? And it, again, typically this is going on in private. So there's not a lot of witnesses typically. Um, so again, you start to question. And if you try to talk to your partner later about it, they'll say, what are you talking about? That didn't happen. What's what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? And again, because your prefrontal cortex and your thinking lobes are not intact through a lot of that, you start to question your sanity. Did I imagine that? Is that really happening? And again, with more subtle forms of abuse, that's a perfectly reliable way of going because there's no. You might not have bruises on your body, at least not visible ones. Right. So those scars are still there, but they may not necessarily be black and blue ones. So this is what trauma does to the brain so you're saying the brain actually changes it does the physical it, it physically a physical... It so it, that the good news and the bad news bad news in terms of trauma is that it changes to adapt constantly to a threat state the good I news did, is, sorry go ahead i was gonna say the good news is that later on when we're talking about healing the brain also can adapt to it can make itself better right it can get back to quote unquote normal
1: I felt, I thankfully it only had two and a half years, I felt like an air traffic controller mm-hmm. that was trying to avoid a crash every day. And that's how I describe my life, right? So just that sensation of ongoing every day on high alert versus the trauma of being in a forest and you come upon a bear, that singular trauma, mm-hmm. fight, flight, you know what to do yes. Arguably, versus you're in your home where you're supposed to be safe. The person is exactly. supposed to love you the most is inflicting this on a daily basis. It was only two and a half years. I can't imagine women who have endured longer, but it was mm-hmm. all of the things you're crazy. I'm the crazy one. If I only did this or that better.
2: And I started to believe it. Of course. Yeah, right? exactly. And again, with, you know, with narcissistic abuse, these perpetrators know exactly where to push the button. Right. You know, they, and very often the, you know, you get into these relationships because you, you trust, you're a loving, caring person. And it's, you know, and again, if you have not been exposed to crazy, you know, evil, so to speak, people, which most of you, our listeners probably have not, right. nothing in your mindset is going to prepare you for this. I was not prepared. And, and you talk about the addiction, mm-hmm. the
1: early days when it was a Disney movie of the most romantic, um, yeah love story of all times that was like the heroine that I craved to go back to it's like wait a second this is a man that made me fall in love with him with all these characters I couldn't rationalize in my brain that and I craved that and I thought he's capable of that Mm -hmm. this is just an anomaly Let's get back there. Exactly. I kept believing exactly. that we would, get you know,
2: back and there. there's there's a wonderful, very interesting, dynamic in psychology called inter, intermittent reinforcement, and this is what this is the slot machine effect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you get this hit of great stuff, and it feels so so good, um, and then things start to get really bad, really bad, really bad. But you just keep thinking, oh, I'm going to live for that hit again, and then that hit comes, and it's just oh, here we go again, and intermittent mm-hmm. reinforcement is the most difficult kind of rel- of, of dynamic to break mm-hmm. because you never know when you're going to get reinforced mm-hmm. and the reinforcement is typically so overpowering it feels so good that again the brain says what are you doing it's like you can sh- your brain will take on two states the state that says oh really this guy is amazing or this gal is amazing versus the part that says what the hell are you doing? Get the hell out. Right. And it's and it's like again, you're sitting in front of a slot machine, you know, well, just one more quarter, one more dollar, one more whatever. Oh, and it's God. gonna it's gonna be my turn to get that good feeling again. And that's essentially what keeps us hooked. Right. I didn't believe or give credit to
1: the fact that I did have complex PTSD after the mm-hmm. relationship. What are some of the symptoms, mental and physical, that can yeah. help people understand
2: if they have. True PTSD. Okay, so, so true PTSD, according to the. Um diagnostical statistical manual that we as therapists follow requires a number of conditions. The first is the obvious one is that you're exposed to an overwhelming experience where you feel like you are threatened, you may die, or that there's going to be serious harm. And it can be to you or to someone else. Uh, And in the process of watching or experiencing that, you feel overwhelming helplessness, horror and terror that's something that you have no control. So loss of control is a really key factor. Um, and when it, it this can happen be a single event or it can be a, an on a long ongoing event. And we'll talk more about the ongoing in a few moments. Second thing that's really important is that there's a sense of re-experiencing after the event. So that might be in terms of intrusive thoughts and memories. It might be flashbacks. Uh, It might be nightmares. Uh, It might be an avoidance of any kind of what we call triggers, any symbol or actual object that reminds us of the situation or an experience that reminds us of the situation. So it might be, you know, a particular touch on the body that just you know, completely throws people off, for example. So those are really key factors. Um, Let me make sure I don't forget anything out of here. Now, the triggers um, will often result in us beginning to avoid certain kinds of situations. So there will often be a withdrawal as well of Things that would in normal life would have given you pleasure, you start to avoid, or you just haven't got the energy to be around them because again, there's so much exhaustion going on in your energetic system, and there can be actually an amnesia about the situation too. So that's again part of how our brain tries to get us back to normal is it will it will start to fade sometimes some of the things that actually happened. And I often find when I'm doing um, work with my clients that all of a sudden they'll spontaneously remember a. Component of the situation that they had completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. And then we have the physical responses, which are typically tied into anxiety. So panic responses, um, anxiety. Uh, often, again, this is how it will get diagnosed initially is through panic disorder or, or a, a general anxiety disorder. Typically, troubles with sleep that's falling asleep or staying asleep is a biggie a big red flag no that's stress in general but particularly with ptsd that's almost an inevitability trouble concentrating um difficulty focusing um heightened startle response um jumpy all the time and anger and irritability those which are maybe not part of your typical persona but those all of a sudden you might notice that you just have no tolerance and patience so in order to get the kind of the the label PTSD from a official source, you have to have those experiences for at least a month. Um, but many people, you know, will start to experience those 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 things right away, or they may start to experience them even several months later, mm. uh, which in, is when we call them late onset PTSD. So it comes on, you know, the actual symptoms start to show later. People who experience complex PTSD are typically experiencing these death threats, if you will, on a daily basis or a regular basis. And so after a while, the fight-flight part of the brainstem just gets super exhausted. That's where adrenal fatigue is often the diagnosis that people are given. Um, And what will tend to happen is the freeze response tends to take over. So we literally, our bodies move into a different part of the nervous system, and we start to experience what we call the collapsed, immobilized part of our nervous system, where there's just no energy. And so you know, the typical response with complex PTSD will be a kind of a flatness. There may be dissociation. Um, there may be just a general, you know, kind of a zombie-like experience. Um, just feeling like you're just not really present. You're not really there. Um, you're going through the motions in your life. And again, the brain is an extraordinary, extraordinary organ. So what it often does is it helps us to adapt by helping us to develop different personas that will take on different, you know, parts of our life. So you, you might find yourself, you know, the, the Stepford wife, you and I've talked about that, that, you know, goes to the the dinner parties and the, you know, smiles and everything's fine and dressed to the knives and wearing all the pearls and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then there might be the, you know, the, the part that goes out and is apparently normal and, you know, goes to, t- takes the kids in, to school, picks them up, takes them to dance class, whatever. Uh, and then there's the parts that are, you know, maybe doing some other um, kinds of, you know, cutting or, or popping pills or using alcohol or drugs to to calm, just, you know, again, the, the way the brain will, you know, sort of create these different parts within ourselves that help us in the brain's perspective, that's what they're doing, help us to survive, because that's the number one thing that we're all trying to do here is survive.
1: Right. I felt so great when I escaped the relationship and had no contact from my ex. And there's the initial fear, as there is with anyone that's in an abusive relationship, that there could be consequences to leave. Exactly. exactly. Um, so once that passed, I had this euphoric feeling of having the freedom and not Having the daily fear, so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I I didn't give enough credit to what I was dealing with from any PTSD standpoint until my physical health, adrenal fatigue, inability to sleep, inability to concentrate. I run a business and I just felt still foggy. Except I thought Mm -hmm. I have to live with my choices. I made my bed with this horrible person, metaphorically, (laughs) physically, and I'm going to have to now. This is my life, but that's Mm -hmm. no way to live, right? So how can we heal? I am the lucky one because I worked Mm -hmm. with you and I can say I dealt with for a couple of years of the fog, the sleeplessness, the adrenal fatigue. And then I spoke with um, a dear friend who's also one of your clients and said, you have to get help, Lara, consider Mm -hmm. seeing a trauma therapist. And as part of my research for SheWorth, I said, I'll just try it. Meanwhile, I'm healed and I'm sleeping and all the things that I used to torture with myself, like bring about memories. I couldn't bring about a memory unless someone really kind of held a gun to my head. Like I just can't. It's out of my system. Wow. So that's talk great. It's about <laughs> healing.
2: And really we, we want hope. So well you've just you've just put hope on the table right there with your story. So I love that. And that again, that is the beauty of our brains. It, they are adaptable. They will, they I mean they can adapt to the worst of scenarios, the worst case situations in the world. And they can also change and allow us to grow. the The brain is plastic. It's a neuroplasticity is a very important concept that we. It's relatively recent, unfortunately. When I was first training it, we didn't know that. We just thought you were hardwired. This was your life. <laughs> but now we know the brain can change. And there's many things that help us to facilitate that to make that so as therapists but again you don't have to necessarily be in therapy you just have to know that your brain will change with intention and with commitment to doing a few relatively simple things my favorite um, trauma therapist is a woman named dr babette rothschild And she says that the most important thing with trauma therapy is to improve the quality of your life. So there's lots of options and lots of ways that that can be done. Um, we, We want to help our clients, first of all, and we want you as listeners to know the most important things in recovery are two states, state safety, first of all. So getting out of that relationship so you can trust that you are safe. That's really a key goal and stabilizing your brain so that that prefrontal cortex that we talked about before can come back online and turn off the fear response so that we can start to get more uh, aware of what is really happening. There's a very important, um, well, very important tool that I think almost everybody's heard of it these days. It's called mindfulness. And mindfulness is not necessarily meditation, although the two often go hand in glove. But what mindfulness is, is it's a focused self-knowledge of where you are, what's going on in your body, as well as what's going on outside of your body. So in your body, I want you to be able to track um, what's happening in your physical sensation state. Right now, I can feel my feet on the ground, I can feel my bum on the chair. can feel the armrest that my hands are are resting against i can tell that my inner state is one right now of excitement mm-hmm. um, other other states might be hunger or or exhaustion just being able to label this is how i am in my body right now what do i feel right now i feel calm or i feel energized um, what am I aware of in, in terms of thoughts that I might be having right now? Am I feeling po- positive thoughts? Am I starting to re- recognize that some of those negative, self-defeating thoughts are coming in? All of these bring us to a place of being mindfully aware of who we are. So a mindfulness practice is one of the most powerful ways that a person can start to heal the brain. And when we're in mindfulness, literally that medial prefrontal cortex, that middle part of the prefrontal cortex is being activated at the same time as the back part of the brain, which is taking Stance of where we are in time and space. So it's a very important network of, of brain connections that starts with mindfulness. Yeah. Linked to that is another um, another thing that's very important to us as therapists. We call it dual awareness, and dual awareness is where we're aware of what's going on inside of us as well as what's going on realistically outside of us. Mm-hmm. Now, with most trauma survivors, especially with complex PTSD, they get tuned into the internal experience. And that usually has a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of activation going on. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they have a tendency to think that something outside of them is, is causing that and that it's not safe outside of them. And that's not usually true. Um, or what can happen with people who are chronically numb if they feel nothing inside of them they might think that everything's fine outside of them when it's not they're missing some of the cues that they're in a dangerous situation so with dual awareness we very simply encourage people to tune into their senses Famous um, psychologist named Fritz Perls used to say, lose your mind, come back to your senses. And that's one of the most powerful learnings in healing. So we come back to all of those senses. What do we see? If someone starts to go into a dissociative state in my office, I'm going to get them to get present by naming five objects or colors that they see in my very colorful office. Um, I'm going to ask them to, to touch different textures so we get that sense of, of touch activated. Um, run your mouth, you know, your tongue through your mouth so that you can taste and sometimes pop a tic-tac in there or a piece of chocolate or whatever it is to help you start to get that sense activated. Smell something that helps you feel grounded. I used to have a, a client that used to um find the scent of baby powder really kept her feeling feeling calm and the sense of smell is a really important one because when it's activated it goes straight to the amygdala those mm. those fire smoke detectors so a calm so a sense that we associate with calm this is where aromatherapy can be very powerful for many people it can also be triggering so you gotta be careful with that and finally sound what do you hear right now in this moment we're lucky right now in the springtime here in Calgary we can go out and we can hear all the birds maybe you hear the traffic you know there's all kinds of different sounds or we can plug in some music if that soothes us but those five senses helping us to get present in our bodies and present in our senses then we can start to make a realistic perception of what's going on externally as well as internally and we can start to learn to trust that the outside world is not constantly going to hurt us so that's a really big piece and many 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 other options are out there for getting us grounded and anchored Um, but I'm sure we can come up with a great list of things between us you and I so you know it's interesting I um I
1: knew that time would heal just the kind of the effect the the effects that were so close to the surface of of me every day and just Mm -hmm. being out of the relationship was one, but, um, connecting with my girlfriends and sharing my story and being vulnerable. And I wasn't allowed to in the marriage for obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. but realizing that I had a wonderful network of people that loved me because when you're in an intimate relationship with someone who's abusive, you don't think you're deserving of love.
2: Exactly.
1: So my self-worth took a hit. And then I realized, wait a second, I have got a beautiful family, an amazing circle of Mm girlfriends, and they love and support me for who I am. That was key, right? Just the community, the connections. Um, One thing that I did that just really helped um, because I was very isolated. I stayed inside getting out and being physical and just having that power of the physical body in doing totally power exactly. yoga. But the single best thing, which I never thought millionaires I, I would do, is I started boxing. The, the fitness class yep. trend at the time I started was just in this great room with a bunch of people and great music, and you're doing choreographed sequences to hitting a bag, and it's such a great workout. It got my anger out and I felt mm-hmm. so strong and
2: empowered. Yes, like, that's perfect. And that impact of hitting something, actually you really physically get your boundary as a, as a person, as a human being, when you have that touch con- connection. And that's, again, getting connected with your personal boundary I do a lot of boundary work with people where I literally have them draw a string around themselves because if they've Mm -hmm. lost themselves they may not know where they end and where they begin Um, so we start you know we really work with bringing it into physical awareness oh that's my string this is what it feels like some people make their string as big as my office and Mm -hmm. I tell them they can pretend it's outside the doors if they want to because they need as much space as possible some people make tiny little boundaries And so it's always interesting to see how that that sense of boundary begins to expand as they start to come back to self and they start to recognize there is a self in there. Breathing is one of the most powerful things, of course. So, you know, practicing breathing to activate energy in our body, which is what you were doing with your boxing, um, that more charged breathing that starts to get aliveness and pumps aliveness through our body, but also parasympathetic breathing, which calms us down and helps us to get down into our feet um, so that we feel that sense of anchoring and feel that sense of, wow, I am connected to the earth and I can feel calm in this place. So lots of different breath techniques out there. I usually use the breathe in for four, breathe out for six. But there's, you know, yoga teachers can teach you all kinds of amazing ways to breathe. that can really help to calm you. Um, For some people, the calming uh, resources are are very scary because when they're calm is when they often got hurt uh right so in, for those people what you're describing um, something that's more active um, or t- or self-defense courses or you know tensing the muscles doing that kind of more active uh, progressive muscle relaxation where you tighten the muscles for you know up to 30 seconds even and then slowly release them very slowly can start to give a feeling of toning and power in the body Hmm. Um, so for many people those more active movement oriented kinds of resources are are really really key talking to people absolutely have your your trusted friends and that is a key word when you share make sure it's someone who will get it right Right. because often people will share with people who also will maybe question if, I mean, it just takes one person to say, really, I don't don't get that. And that can throw your, all of your, the momentum is because you start to think, well, maybe I really am. He's right. I am crazy. Or she's right. I am crazy. So again, always be very careful. This is where the mindfulness comes in. Trust that gut. Trust that does my, does my instinct. And as you do more of this, your instincts will get, you'll get back to your, your strong instincts. They, they're never going to leave you. They're always there, but right. you sometimes just have to learn to trust them. My instinct tells me this is a safe person to talk to, or my instinct tells me this is not a safe person to talk to. and That's really, really key who you confide in. So if there's no one in your life who you feel gets you and who you can have what we call contingency with a sense of, I get you, you get me, then A therapist may be a very important person in your life or a support group or, um, you know, your pastor. I mean, there's lots of amazing helpers out there. They don't have to have, you know, um, three PhDs to be able to help you. It's just it's a question of who do you feel trusting enough and who has and again make sure they have the skill to be able to help you if it's going to be in a professional relationship that they um, that they are trauma informed the therapist or the person that's doing them helping with you understands those dynamics of trauma that we've just been speaking of what happens in the brain what will throw people off so if somebody says well you have to spend you know you know, an hour in meditation every day to get yourself calm. Well, that may not be a great suggestion for some people, right? Right. Okay. And for many people, meditation is a wonderful resource and I use it personally myself. It's been a life changer, but for many people, that's just a frustration because they just, they're just too active. So they may need to start with something that's a bit more active before they can get to the calming more calming kinds of resources. Because right. it's not if there's no one size fits all. I guess that's the message. That's
1: for sure. I think but, um, my need to understand how this could happen to me and my research mm-hmm. for SheWorth. I found four or five Facebook groups that are populated with hundreds of thousands of people just under the topic of recovering from an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. healing exactly. from an abusive narcissist. And what helped me because you think, oh gosh, I'm the, I'm one of the few people yeah. that put up with this it's a very vulnerable, open dialogue with people looking for help and sharing their stories. And it was just a safe space to be myself and community. Wonderful, yeah. Seek out those. I think the message is our brains can change. Exactly. We have to let go of the shame mm-hmm. and there's hope to heal and actually thrive and learn so much about yourself on the other side of being in a relationship. And exactly. I think you've, you've opened some... Um, inspired thoughts around what those could look like. We will also uh, please check out sheworth.org with Susan's help. We have a great resource page of Mm. Susan has shared with me some of her favorite books that have helped me. There's some apps that we love, but just a, Um, a bit of a toolkit that can point you in some directions of some support resources. Uh, I think this is going to be the first of many conversations with you, Susan. It's just been... My pleasure. ...so enlightening and we're so thankful
2: for your expertise and your take on this. So thank you for participating. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure and I just uh, really want to send out that message of hope that you've underscored. It's that you can change and you can grow from this experience. Absolutely. So thank you, Lara. It's been wonderful
0: how amazing is susan on this episode she goes through so much information i hope you were all taking notes and if you weren't we have all the resources she mentioned here on our website under the resources tab go to free downloadable pdfs and you will be able to find under healing from the trauma a pdf that you can download for free hang it on your wall Keep it on your computer, whatever, that you can reference anytime with all her strategies. We just want to take a minute to say thank you for listening to the SheWorks podcast. It means a lot to us. If there were any really standout takeaways from you, please DM us on Instagram, post on your story, tell your friends about us, subscribe, download a few episodes, leave us a review, or all of the above. It means a lot to us. And we just want to thank you for listening, remind you that you are worthy, and have a great day.